Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. Recently, at uh, conferences like Angiogenesis, there's been a great deal of discussion about the uh, complement system, basically the uh, drugs that are uh, are trying to target this uh, this cascade of interacting proteins to treat uh, diseases like uh, AMD. Uh, at Angiogenesis, there was some disappointing clinical news from uh, from Novartis in particular. Uh, it's been an area that has uh, had some potholes, but uh, we're talking today with a company that uh, is still very optimistic about their approach to uh, targeting the, the complement cascade as a treatment for uh, AMD. Uh, Cedric Francois is the CEO of Apellis Pharma, and Apellis, is, uh, it, it's had its own hiccups lately. It did try to go public. It wasn't able to, but it followed up that, uh, that shortfall by raising $47 million for a Series D. And uh, Dr. Francois is, is still very optimistic about the company's approach to uh, targeting the, the uh, complement cascade. And in this podcast, he'll explain why he feels that Apellis' approach uh, is the one that is likely going to uh, actually produce an effective drug against AMD. So it's a great conversation about a very promising area within ophthalmology, but also a, a discussion as to how uh, ophthalmology companies are able to uh, ride out the bumps and uh, really make strong pushes toward developing the next generation of ophthalmic drugs. So I'm going to step aside and uh, let's have this conversation with uh, Dr. Cedric Francois of Apellis Pharma. Uh, Dr. Cedric Francois, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Very happy, happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. You guys have had a, a busy few weeks. Uh, I know you were uh, at uh, in Miami at the Antiogenesis Conference. We'll hit upon that a bit later. But I wanted to just talk about uh, Apellis' uh, recent uh, goings on. Uh, transactionally, you had some news on the financing front that we get into. But first of all, I, I don't know if this is as interesting to everybody it is to me, but you're you're a physician, as uh, as I introduced you as doctor. Uh, but your your training, or at least your your a lot of your work had been done. Uh, your postgraduate training was in pediatric and transplant surgery, and you were you were involved somehow in the uh, Louisville face transplant team. How, how, what was your involvement in that, and and how does that translate to uh, being an ophthalmology CEO? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we can cover that in twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do your best. What was your involvement uh, well, in, in the transplant? <laughs> Well, I, I, that's why I came to Louisville, Kentucky, which is a, not exactly a biotech hub, but a fantastic place to live. And um, in 1999, they did the first hand transplantation here. And I wanted to join that team, um, you know, on the research side, because I was very interested in, um, uh, you know, the, the immunosuppressive therapies that allowed the transplantation of, you know, quote-unquote organs that contain skin. Um, which initially was the hand, and then afterwards uh, became the face transplantation efforts. And uh, it was great and, and fantastic to be in, in very early on to be involved in that um, in that pioneering work. Uh, I then did my PhD, and during my PhD, started working with a group at Harvard, and we started a company called Potentia Pharmaceuticals. 
And with Potencia, we um, we literally ended up in ophthalmology because you know we saw a a disease, age-related macular degeneration, where uh, we were convinced that an immunological process was at work, driven by complement activation, uh, that we believed was very important in the pathogenesis of that condition. Um, and this was in, in the very early days. Uh, we're talking 2003, 2004. Um, when, you know, it was really preclinical and very scientific still, um, you know, not really developing drugs. Um, when in 2005, the first associations were made between single nucleotide polymorphisms, so genetic SNPs in the complement pathways and patients with macular degeneration, um, there was much further corroboration over the years after that between the, the role that complement might play in that disease and the possibility for complement inhibition to be beneficial in slowing down or the progression or maybe even halting um, AMD. Uh, and Potencia, you know, kind of, you know, it was all we needed because we were young and, <laughs> and well <laughs> to move forward with a uh, uh, first complement inhibitor called POT4, which we advanced into clinical trials and in 2009. Um, Alcon uh, went into a licensing and option to acquire agreement with Potencia at the time, um, which you know left us basically with a team with <laughs> nothing much more to do than to start another company. <laughs> well, what, are you, what, what else are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which became Apelis, and uh, with Apelis Pharmaceuticals, we really became very interested. Uh, you know, in, in the underlying immunology that we uh, had come to believe in, not just in macular degeneration, but in many other conditions as well, uh, which we call TH17 diseases, which is a bit of a misnomer, but for lack of a better description, these are conditions that share in common that there is an initial insult that provokes them, but when that initial insult is gone, these diseases become self-propagating. And, you know, you can call it autoimmune conditions, but it's a little bit more specific than that. Um, these are uh, medical conditions like macular degeneration, but also like chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, like psoriasis, inflammatory bowel disease, multiple sclerosis, uh, where we see remarkably similar biology at work and where we have come to believe that complement activation plays a key role in making these diseases self-perpetuating in spite of the initial insult being gone. And so, you know, we have coined that, you know, our, our objective is to do what we call complement immunotherapy, which is we believe that by inhibiting the complement pathways, we might be able to uh, do something that's disease-modifying in those conditions. So that's how plastic surgery ended in ophthalmology, <laughs> ended in immunology, I guess. <laughs> well, it's, it's worked for you so far, so, so keep doing what you're doing. It's remarkable and, and, and unremarkable how much of a role uh, the, the immune system's playing in biotherapeutics and the development of new new diseases. I mean, we're seeing so much in, obviously, immuno-oncology, but really, you're right. It, it touches so many different parts of the body, including ophthalmology. Yeah. Well, well I'm happy you bring that up because, you know, the way we look at it, um, when you take a step back away from complement, is that in the past five to ten years we've seen the whole revolution in immuno-oncology. And really, when you look at the immune system, the adaptive immune system, when it dysfunctions, you know, you kind of get two broad categories of problems, right? One is you can develop cancer, 
the other is you can develop problems with autoimmunity. And in cancer, the, the conventional approach has always been to get rid of as many cancer cells as possible and try to fix the problem that way. And now we know that, you know, making sure that your immune system takes care of business properly is arguably a much wiser and more better and more profound approach to that problem. Uh, well, in autoimmunity, the equivalent to that is for decades, all we've been interested in doing is to suppress the immune system to deal with inappropriate activation and kind of the symptomatic consequences of that. But the real approach to autoimmune conditions should be to correct the dysfunction that actually causes it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we believe that complement can do that. Complement inhibition can do that. But there are, you know, many ways to, you know, and, and I don't mean that to be misunderstood, but to, to toy, to play around with the adaptive immune system so that you can really correct what is fundamentally misaligned and bring it back into a normal homeostatic state. And the technology you're working with, it came from uh, the University of Pennsylvania, is that right? That's right, yeah. So there's a, you know, kind of a, one, one of the godfathers of compliments uh, is a professor called John Lambris, who uh, works at the University of Pennsylvania, has been there for several decades, and who developed this class of compounds called Comstatin derivatives, um, which, you know, are really, you know, fantastic and, and really unique inhibitors of complement factor C3. And what's unique about C3 is that it sits centrally in the complement cascade and inhibits all of the effects of complement, regardless of which pathway of activation led to its dysregulation. So it's a, it's a very comprehensive way of inhibiting the complement pathways. Fascinating. And as exciting as these stories are to, 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 to hear, obviously you need to also pay the bills, so the financing comes into play. Let's talk a bit about what you, you've, you've had to, to, uh, to handle recently. You did try to go public. Uh, you filed to go public and made the decision recently. It was announced recently anyway to withdraw the IPO, uh, I'm assuming because of the market conditions, but you can get into that. I was just, uh, in your answer, I was, the question is, what was that, just that process like of deciding not to go forward with the IPO? Was it pretty obvious what the route would be? Or is there a lot of uh, weighing pros and cons, and it's really sort of a, a gut check at the end of the day? Um, I think it's a little bit of both, but I think what's key is to have the right investors in your company, right? Mm. Um, we, have a, we have a fantastic syndicate of investors uh, that we brought together in this private round. And this is a syndicate of investors that is interested in, in the long-term vision for the company. Uh, not to do a quick flip to an IPO and try to, you know, get out of the stock like some investors try to do sometimes. Um, so, you know, we, we really, you know, believe in our company as a company of fundamentals. You know, we, we, um, we think that complement is a, a pathway or a, I should say a, a whole chapter of immunology that we call it the sleeping giant sometimes, right, that has been left untouched for, untouched for so long, um, where there are so many indications that could benefit from uh, complement inhibition, and where we have a great way of doing that because, again, we act centrally and shut everything down. Later on, we can become more sophisticated within those complicated pathways. Um, but uh, we wanted to have a syndicate of investors that believed in, in the broad potential of inhibiting this part of immunity. Uh, it can take two years, five years, ten years, um, 
at the right time, obviously these investors will have to find you know a, a, a liquid event and, and return money to their investors. But we don't need to do that in the next year or even the next two years. Um, we're going to continue to build value and you know get back to the public markets if and when the time is right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that, I think, will de de determine or, or will uh, rely upon your your lead product and ophthalmology. Tell tell us a bit about uh, where it's at and, and what it's targeting. It's going after uh, a form of AMD or, or or AMD, correct? Yeah. So we go after so in, in in macular degeneration. Just for for clarity, because sometimes this this term gets confused. Um, we have dry macular degeneration. And dry macular degeneration is a confusing term because some people refer with that to the early form and intermediate forms of AMD, mm -hmm. where you have 65 to 75 or older uh, individuals who develop these lipid deposits in the back of the eyes called drusen. Um, the key factor there is when you have drusen, you know, you can often walk around with that until you pass away and, you know, it never causes any serious problems. However, in a percentage of these patients, and you know, if you take all patients with drusen, of those, we're probably not talking about much more than 15%, you get an advancement to what we call the advanced form of macular regeneration, which can manifest itself in two forms. The first one is the advanced dry form of the disease, and you know, that is you know, commonly referred to as geographic atrophy. Uh, the reason why you know it is called that is because when you look in the back of the eyes of patients with GA, you have literally these islands of dead retina where you can look straight through to the choroid, um, and it looks like a map, <laughs> you know, a map of destruction, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, but it is a dry process. In other words, neovascularization is not a part of that process. And then you have conversely. Uh, the advanced wet form of the disease where you get new blood vessels that grow into the back of the eyes, uh, which on top of that are leaky blood vessels. So, you know, you get exudation in the back of the eye. Um, and the, the, the well-known products, Lucentis, Elia, uh, Avastin, etc., Combercept, are products that are anti-VEGF agents that can seal these blood vessels. We now have, you know, Possibly another product uh, in the pipeline coming uh, from Aftotech that uh, and and Regeneron that by blocking PDGF uh, might also kind of eliminate the the new vessels themselves, not just make them less leaky. Um, but uh, the standard of care today in macular regeneration is that the only thing we can do is that when you happen to have advanced AMD that is wet is that we can stop leakage of blood vessels in the back of the eye. If you have the advanced form of the dry type, where you have geographic atrophy, there is nothing on the market that can slow down or stop that progression. But the ultimate standard of care in macular degeneration should not be to wait until the retina is dying and for you to have advanced disease, but the ultimate standard of care should be to take patients with intermediate AMD who have these drusen deposits identify those patients that are at risk in the near future of progressing and stopping that process. And we have a long way to go to that. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I look at it as a, a three-step process. We did anti-VEGF. Now we need to find drug agents that can block the progression of a GA. And then tomorrow we will look at intermediate AMD. And where we at APD stand right now is in that second spot, trying to slow down geographic atrophy. The only drug that has ever shown an ability 
to significantly slow down the progression of geographic atrophy is uh, in a phase two clinical trial run by Genentech Roche. The trial was called the Mahalo study and a drug compound, which is a fab against one of the complement factors called lampalizumab, um, was shown uh, you know, to reduce that progression in patients with MDA. We can talk with geographic atrophy. We can talk about that more as well if you want to. I just want to take a quick break from this conversation to remind you to go to ois.net. We've got a whole boatload of great ophthalmology content there, podcasts like this one, uh, written reports, video interviews. Check out ois.net. It's recently redesigned and uh, really a fantastic source for ophthalmology news. Now back to this conversation. Well, what is the, the, the state of your, uh, where are you in clinical trials? I want to just get into that a little bit. How, how far along are you and what do you have planned? And, and uh, going back to the, the financing aspect, you raised $47 million from uh, in this private round. How far is that going to take you uh, in your clinical, uh, your clinical testing? Yeah. So $47 million allows us to uh, complete proof of concept in our three uh, clinical programs. Um, you know, we, uh, we cannot provide, you know, we, we don't want to provide more detail than that, but I think in the context of macular degeneration, what's key here is that we have currently ongoing a 240-patient phase 2 clinical trial in patients with geographic atrophy where we evaluate the ability of our lead compound called APL2 to slow down the progression of geographic atrophy. Our trial was designed to be very similar in design to the Mahalo study that Genentech Roche ran. Um, the reason why we did that is because the Roche program um, you know, did an injection every month and every other month with a fab against complement factor D which sits upstream in the complement cascade and, you know, is, is, you know, only inhibits one of the activation pathways. So we wanted to find out if by inhibiting broader, we can also have a broader effect. Um, and so, you know, even though you cannot really compare these studies, the design was meant to give us further insight. Um, also in the Mahalo study, the once every month and once every other month regimen with an intravitreal injection is what we decided to replicate in this study as well, to find out if every other month injections might work as well, mm -hmm. which especially in with geographic atrophy, you know, would make it easier on patients to, you know, to be compliant. That's, and, and where are you uh, conducting those trials? Uh, in the United States and in Australia, mm -hmm. and uh, we expect to be fully enrolled by the spring um, with, you know, the, the readout uh, at 12 months for the summer of next year. You mentioned some other companies that are also working in the space. Novartis had some news recently. It's approach uh, seeking to target C5. It wasn't some. It wasn't particularly uh, positive news. Can you can you bring us up to data on what was reported and, and how does this? Uh, what's the implication for other companies that are targeting targeting the complement cascade? Yeah. So um, you know. So, so you alluded correctly to the trial by Novartis. Um, maybe before I dive into that, I think it's important to bear in mind that the, the complement cascade is incredibly complex. I mean, so you're talking about something that probably rivals the clotting cascade in terms of complexity, um, where you have three pathways that can lead to activation, you know, the classical, the mannose binding leptin, and the alternative pathway. They all converge on complement factor C3. And then you get multiple effects of complement that come out of that. 
Um, and these effects of complement can be split a little bit artificially to events that take place on the cell surface of you know target cells that are under a quote unquote attack by complement versus what we call the fluid phase of complement where factors get released in the interstitial fluid that play very important signaling roles in adaptive immunity. When in 2005, these SNPs were discovered in complement to be associated with macular degeneration. We had a whole bunch of stuff to figure out, right? One was, is this only associated with the incidence, or is it also associated with the progression of the disease? Is it associated with, you know, the early forms of the disease versus, you know, the late forms, you know, when you wet type versus geographic? All these things were unclear. And within that complexity, also the fact of which part of the complement effects, you know, the cell surface components versus these fluid phase signaling components are really important. And to, to kind of put that in, in context, if we, you know, accept the premise that complement activation is bad for the retina in macular degeneration, then um, that can be bad either because complement attacks the retina directly and that would be through these cell surface components. Uh, in that case, if you inhibit complements, you are really following a symptomatic approach, right, right? where you try to protect these retinal cells mm -hmm. against insult by complement. Versus, on the other hand, complement playing an important role not as a direct aggressor of the retina, but a much more important role as a regulator of immunity in the back of the eye, where other immune elements like macrophages, etc., come in and cause destruction through secondary mechanisms. Um, the reason why these two are very different, and it's not said that they're mutually exclusive, right? But they're very different uh, in terms of where you want to target the complement cascade if you want to affect these two sides of the equation. If you inhibit complement factor C5, you are very much making a bet on the direct insult to the retina right, the, the, the attack on the cells and the cell surface events to be the problem in the disease. If you believe that immune regulation is the main contributor to the disease, then C5 is too far downstream in the cascade. You want to go upstream to complement factor C3 or, for example, as Genentech does, complement factor D because the alternative pathway accounts for approximately 80% um, of activation and, and you know, products um, that contribute to the fluid phase. So when, you know, we approached macular regeneration uh, with C3, we, we felt that we could cover, uh, you know, all possible eventualities without knowing too much. I hate to admit it, but that's kind of what happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's not more scientific than that. Um, but in the meantime, uh, you know, I think we are, we, we found out much more over the past couple of years with a lot of evidence pointing in the direction for the role of the fluid phase and the immune regulation being important and the role of complement playing a role there. Um, now, we also start seeing now the first kind of, I'd say, circumstantial evidence from clinical trials um, that further seem to contribute to that hypothesis. Um, with anti-C5, specifically targeted at, you know, uh, those cell surface events, we actually had a study before Novartis came out that was run by Dr. Rosenfeld, who coincidentally you know, is one of the co-organizers of this conference and this angiogenesis conference mm -hmm. in um, Miami. 
he had already run a trial using Alixion Solaris given intravenously to patients with geographic atrophy to find out if the progression of the disease could be slowed down. And that study was negative. Uh, so that was the first inkling that, you know, this C5 inhibition specifically uh, might not be the right approach in geographic atrophy. But there was a sense that maybe intravenous was not the right route of administration, etc. And Novartis then ran the study looking at um, the intravitreal administration of their antibody against C5, which for all intents and purposes, we can say is highly similar to Solaris. Um, and now we know, you know, unfortunately, you know, it, it was already read out about a year ago, I think, uh, maybe even longer. Uh, but now we know that anti-C5 administered intravitreally also does not work. And now, obviously, you know, that causes a lot of people to, to question, well, what about, you know, does that mean that complement in the retina um, is, is a losing proposition? And I think that is absolutely not the case. You know, I'm obviously very subjective about this. Of course. This. You need to be. You're a CEO of a company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, but, but also looking, you know, looking as a scientist at this and, you know, having uh, probably done, you know, more deep work in this than, than a lot of other groups, um, there is a really important difference between where you target the complement pathways vis-à-vis -vis the effect that you can have. And, you know, Genentech and Roche took a decision to move into phase three, not purely based on hope, uh, but I'd say based on qualified optimism, right? And that qualified optimism stems from, um, you know, a, a deep understanding of how the fluid phase can affect uh, adaptive immunity. And I will give you one simple example that points in that direction. When you look at uh, macrophages in the retina, so in these diseases you, get, you can get you know, monocytes that come into the tissue that sit there, you get microglia that become involved. These cells will evoke stress uh, on the retinal tissues and play a much more important role um, in contributing to the damage. Well, coincidentally, and again, this is an association not causal, but it's interesting, is that in wet-type macular regeneration, the predominant phenotype of those macrophages are what we call M2, um, uh, M2 macrophages, which are kind of the reparative, pro-angiogenic, pro-fibrotic macrophage phenotypes, which coincides with the clinical phenotype of wet AND, whereas in geographic atrophy, you see predominantly M1 phenotype macrophages, which are the aggressive, pro, uh, you know, damaging, you know, all hell breaks loose type of macrophage phenotypes, uh, which coincides with, again, the clinical phenotype of GA. And there are a whole bunch of those associations uh, that point in the direction of the role of the fluid phase. Which brings me to your last point, which is Novartis then decided not to abandon their anti-C5 program, but to instead combine their anti-C5 um, approach with an antibody against properdin. Now, properdin is the only natural activator of complement that we have. So normally, complement gets activated by bacterial products and certain other elements, but nothing that comes out of our own body, typically, um, at least not in a natural context. Properdin is a complement factor that specifically drives complement activation. Now, properdin is also something that's interesting because it drives complement activation towards the uh, membrane attack complex formation. So it is, um, it, it's very interesting to see how this can play a role 
uh, in the overall homeostasis of the retina. But one thing that I would like to point out is that um, 10 years ago, and this might go a little bit too deep for this podcast, but um, yeah, I'm not going to go too deep into that. I think suffice to say is that uh, Novartis looked into doing molecular surgery within the complement pathways where combining properdin inhibitions, they believe, might make up for the lack of sufficient inhibition of complement by going too far downstream. And my only word of caution would be there that uh, by inhibiting properdin, what you do is actually drive the complement activation uh, away from the membrane attack complex and you know, the, the cell surface uh, properties towards the fluid phase. And um, you know, it will be interesting to see if that truly makes the disease get better or not. To summarize, we're far from knowing everything. Mm-hmm. I think between the read phase three clinical trial by Genentech and our phase two clinical trial uh, with the anti-C3 approach, we're going like, to get a lot of additional answers with the final remaining question being, is geographic atrophy too late for complement inhibition to have an effect? Or do we want to go earlier in intermediate AMD? Uh, and is that where you want to block complements to avoid progression to the advanced form of the disease? Last question. How do you see this field playing out? Do you, do you see a, a, a large percentage of the approaches being targeted today being successful? Or is there really going to be one, one moonshot that makes it all the way? <laughs> I'd love to think that we are the moonshot. Well, of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was implying when uh, I asked the question. <laughs> well, I think, look, um, uh, I, I don't believe in single moonshots. I think there's always room for improvement. Um, beyond the mechanism, there's also the product profile, right? I mean, let's say that complement inhibition is a good thing to do, and let's say it's a good thing to do in geographic atrophy. Then you don't want to do an injection every month or even every other month, right? And then the question becomes is if you do complement inhibition, do you really need to do this chronically for many years, as is the case with anti-VEGF agents? Or can you really change the immune microenvironment where you can have long periods where you don't need drugs anymore? And if that's the case, you know, where are we going to end up with good companion diagnostics where we can actually you know, identify patients you know, uh, or the state of the disease, I should say, based on blood biomarkers? So you can you know, treat patients when it's needed and not kind of no pun intended, but blindly outside of that. So, um, you know, I don't believe in a moonshot. I do think that with C3, again, subjectively, we have a good opportunity to look at broad complement inhibition. The difficulty that we face and everybody that works in this disease faces is that we make these intravitreal injections and we don't really know whether we are truly inhibiting complement where it needs to be inhibited, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of run the experiment based on the maximum exposure that you can give. You inject as much as you can, as often as you can, and you hope that it does what it was designed to do. But when studies are negative, is that because the drug doesn't work? Hence, you know, is it because the mechanism doesn't work, or is it because the drug didn't get where it had to go or wasn't there for long enough? And that's something on which, unfortunately, we don't have enough of a handle. Well, it's going to be an exciting story to follow. I appreciate you taking so much time to to share your story and uh, just to talk about this uh, this exciting uh, realm within ophthalmology and and within biopharmaceuticals. Well, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, and uh, I look forward to uh, discussing it more in the future.
Sure thing. Dr. Cedric Francois, thanks for joining us on the OIS podcast and for sharing Apellis' story. I'm sure we'll be following it at future OISs. Speaking of future OISs, we hope to see you at OIS at ASCRS coming up on May 5th. Go to OIS.net after you've read and listened to all of our great content. Register to attend OIS at ASCRS, and we will see you in New Orleans. Thanks for listening.